everyone, and welcome to episode 219 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast. I am James, joined by the whole gang this week uh, after <laughs> a big struggle with some technical difficulties here, but we're up and, and running, and that's, that's all that counts, and, and none of you would know, but uh, <laughs> we've just been wrestling with mics for a half an hour. So, uh, Ryan, how you doing? Little little frustrated right now? Uh, it's better now. The the snowball is up and running, and uh, we're getting this thing recorded. So that's all that matters. That is all that matters. I, we think it may have been a beer spritz to the uh, microphone on my laptop. A beer spritz. It quite possibly could have been a light spritz. A light, I've never a light heard spritzing. A, I literally have never heard a noise like what was happening there. And it I was deal with bizarre. tech troubleshooting all the time. So I am. Uh, I'm genuinely surprised. <laughs> Before you logged on, Paul, James described it as, I believe it was a typewriter being run through like an alien voice. Yeah, it was it was weird. It that sounds about it's right. It's the yeah. weirdest thing I've ever heard. But hey, we got it figured out and and we're up and running. So uh thanks for joining in this week and, and Paul, welcome back. Uh after after your uh little work get away yeah. there so uh yeah. <laughs> thanks to steve for yeah. stepping in last week uh but hey uh we're all here it's all good uh packers lost today but it doesn't matter it does nobody, not nobody died no one cares nobody died so yeah we're we're just pulling for a tie here as we record this on sunday night just for all hilarity's sake but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> it would be the best ever but yes <laughs> all right uh we got a lot of Patreon questions to get to this week. Uh, not a whole lot still going on with the labor talks in baseball either, but we'll get to that in, in a couple of minutes here before we get to all your questions. Thanks for those who uh, did sign on and give us a question. And, and a reminder, you can get question priority here on this podcast by becoming a patron. That's at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Uh, you'll get a shout out here on this podcast in addition to that question priority you also get a uh, question priority on the reporting as eligible packers podcast That's for five right. bucks a month you get some uh, extra content too you get that minor league extra podcast with ryan and james anderson from rotowire you also get paul's reporting as eligible preview mini pods uh he'll preview the game every week even going into the playoffs here so absolutely uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what I'm pulling for in the first round of the playoffs. Now that the 49ers are in, that's a little terrifying to me, Paul. I don't know how you feel. <laughs> they, they're they not threatening to the Packers. Um, they really haven't had trouble. I'd, I'd be okay with the 49ers getting a little hot here and making a run. I'm totally they, like the love Garoppolo. He sucks. I always want to play the bad quarterback in the playoffs. So I'm down with that. I, I fear the teams that uh, I think are rational to fear. Um, the, the Buccaneers, just because they have Brady and the Cowboys, because they were statistically the best team all year, and losing to McCarthy would be just horrible, um, just, just terrible. So I don't, I don't want any part of them because even though they're, they, you know, they they have the McCarthy problem where they're not run super well, they're still kind of terrifying. What is that like yeah. the Cardinals corollary? Yeah, kind of, kind of like that. Yeah, like you just yeah. do not want to lose to them because the thought of it just like makes you physically ill. That is correct. Devil magic's not real, but it still sucks worse to lose to them. So, yeah, why root for their success? I, I, I'm done with Get them out. Get them out. Yeah. And get yep. Brady out as soon as possible. That's really, I don't want any part of the Bucks. They're, they're down. They're a mess. I don't care. I don't want any part of that team. <laughs> Go Eagles. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, shifting to the baseball here, as I mentioned, really still no updates on the labor negotiation front. Uh, there was an article this week by Jeff Passan on ESPN.com basically saying as much that there hasn't been a, basically a single substantive meeting since the lockout started. Uh, no surprise because we haven't heard a peep from either side. And it, it's maybe getting a little bit more concerning now that we're into early January. We're roughly a month and change away from when pitchers and catchers should be reporting the spring training. And it doesn't really look like there's any movement at all and yes you know deadlines kind of spur action as the, as the old saying goes but there has been basically no willingness to talk on either side here has there ryan mm, well i mean it looks like mlb is the one who walked away and yeah it has kind of held up a thing we'll we'll get to that in a minute though like it it does seem like MLB is the one that kind of put the kibosh on any further discussion. As long as they're holding this position they're currently holding, I don't think that the the discussion really starts. Yeah, it, yeah. it's tough to negotiate when 
one side doesn't want to negotiate, right, Paul? <laughs> it it is, and to some extent, this is negotiating by not negotiating. Like MLB has essentially designated certain topics that are mandatory to be negotiated as things they don't want to talk about, and mm-hmm. that's that's just posturing. Um, you'll everybody, I'm sure, on, on listening to this is following Eugene Friedman at this point. Because if you're not, what are you doing? Um, that's the best place to learn labor law on Twitter. Um, but aside from that, when you do these negotiations, when you actually are out of contract, which they are right now, and you need to enter a new one, there are mandatory topics of bargaining. And economics are one of those mandatory conditions. You're bringing some existing rules to the table here. And baseball just can't, they can't just say, we're not going to bargain on these. That's um, more or less not allowed, a little more complicated than that. But uh, they're just being intransigent at this point. And uh, it, it's it's worrisome, but it it's not that surprising. Uh, I think I mentioned last time I was on here, which seems like forever ago, <laughs> that um, they probably won't do anything substantive until it gets close, until financial consequences start to get closer. Uh, until then, people have an easier time taking hard lines on things. That's just kind of the way it is. Uh, if you are a good bargaining partner you work this stuff out in advance so you're not burning the midnight oil at the last minute um there's a lot of acrimony here they're going to both take hard lines as long as they can and uh until there's some pressure from some owners some players whatever they're just not going to do anything and i think we'll have news like this for the next month and a half yeah james can you give us the the details on that like what did the what was the actual sticking point here I will gladly do that. And uh, Paul, you mentioned economics as one of the things that has to be negotiated. And we'll just kind of read this blurb from the Jeff Passon <laughs> thing here because it basically sums up the uh, impasse in a nutshell here. So uh, Jeff Passon reported, quote, MLB has said it wanted to talk about core economics, as we mentioned, but only on the condition that those discussions not include any changes to the six-year reserve period of free agency, the arbitration system, or revenue sharing. Uh, The union would not (laughs) agree to that condition. I wonder why. Seven minutes in, Jeff Passon reports there was nothing left to discuss, and I'll be yeah. left the hotel and did not return. So and it's you ridiculous. Know. They like they have to negotiate on economic issues. It's a rule of labor negotiation. Well, they want so, to, just you know, not uh, six year free agency arbitration uh-huh. or at revenue sharing. Other than that, they'd love to talk economics. Yeah. Right. They want to keep all the big things that they've won over the last few uh bargaining sessions and say no 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 those are ours now forever you can't ever get them back that's it it's over with go away and that's essentially their their bargaining position on that is we, we're never going to discuss those things again even though apparently there were at points remember they put that thing out about uh doing a, a change to the system where people would become free agents at 29 and a half so they, they did kind yep. of already open that door a little bit. And I don't know. I'm sure there's very technical, legalistic rules that Eugene Friedman would do a much better job explaining on that. But that all seems kind of fishy where it's like, no, because you did kind of talk about it. You did talk about changing. There has been discussion before that final day when everything shut down on December 1st. There was talk about moving around the uh, uh, around the, the luxury tax threshold. Remember, MLB wanted to lower it. <laughs> They wanted to go to 180 instead of, you know, the current mm-hmm. like 205 or 210 or whatever. So MLB has been willing to discuss these things. It's just, you know, like at that moment, they said, no, we're not going to do it. And you know what this reminded me of, Paul, was the Korean War, the negotiations that went oh, on. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. No, yeah, no. <laughs> history teachers coming out here. Well, yeah. no, because it, it's pretty famous. Um, and I don't I'm sorry. I don't know exact the exact details on this because it just popped in while Paul was talking about this. But like. The the North Koreans were basically waiting for a, a good moment to in, seriously engage in real negotiation. And so what happened was they spent like a year at the peace talks talking about arguing over what size the table was going to be and what the height of the flags um, in the um, in the compound were going to be where the negotiations were happening. Like that's what they argued about for like a year before they actually were able to 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 bargain on anything substantive because the the North Koreans were convinced they were going to continue to gain an advantage on the battlefield and so they were willing to just wait and wait and wait until they got the the situation that they wanted to be able to bargain from a position of strength 
So that's kind of what this feels like is MLB just being like, nah, we're just not going to really talk about this until you get desperate. Did you just compare Major League Baseball to North Korea? (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's probably going to send a message in saying that's terrible. Like, you're totally wrong about all that. And I'm just I'm going by stuff that I read a very long time ago. So, oh, man. All right. What other podcast are you going to get that Mm. kind of? historical context for this current dispute i don't know man paul how how long until they actually start talking if they're not even willing to discuss the basic things that they need to hammer out in the contract well i I think the reason that you're likely to miss some games this year is that i don't think they'll start negotiating until it gets close to season start and and it's looming that uh there's going to be financial consequences to both sides um, so I, I think they'll hold out till then they'll be jerks to each other until like right before spring training, they'll, they'll then start negotiating on, you know, the things that the couple things they can agree on and it'll take forever and they'll miss, uh, in a, I think good scenario, they'll miss a few games. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I would, I would be at this point, I think you should be worried that it could be worse than that. Uh, I think it's at least possible. Not, I'm not going to predict like a season loss or anything, but, uh, uh, Usually you would have negotiated a couple things right now. You'd have made a couple good faith efforts to negotiate stuff that doesn't matter. Just get it on the table. It's not good. Um, so what the most likely scenario I'd say right now is they're going to wait till the season's about to start. They'll start negotiating. It'll take a long time and they'll miss games because it takes a long time to negotiate a labor contract. Um, yeah. So that's, that's how I'm seeing things right now. Yeah. Looking forward to another Memorial day weekend opening day. That's, yep. that's fantastic. All right. Uh, I guess also on the topic of the labor stuff and, and MLB kind of just kind of cracking down on everything. It's maybe a good thing Jeff Passan isn't on MLB Network and he's at ESPN now. <laughs> uh, because if you missed it, uh, Major League Baseball basically just fired Ken Rosenthal from MLB Network because he was critical of Rob Manfred in the past. So um, not great. Again, nope, maybe I think say they would do it in North Korea, Ryan. So maybe that fits. This is this is just dumb, right? Like, there's nobody who has maybe better will in terms of like the national writers, right? And, and more goodwill than Ken Rosenthal, and you just kind of do this. It seems like another unforced PR error, doesn't it, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, first off. And I, I heard this, them talking about this on Effectively Wild, and they said, yeah, it's hard to find somebody who is more universally well-regarded than Ken Rosenthal. Correct. And not just liked, but respected. You know, he is respected as a reporter and, and liked as a person and all of that. And frankly, MLB Network needed Ken Rosenthal a hell of a lot more than Ken Rosenthal needed MLB Network. Yeah. Like that's, that's the big thing. Ken Rosenthal's already has, he's the, the lead national writer for the athletic, which uh, we could mention also, wasn't it $500 million they just got yeah, bought uh, out for? Yeah. 550, yeah. Yeah. If, 550. If he got a decent buy into the athletic. He, he's doing well right now. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's got one of the more prominent positions at that entire thing. And he was an early adopter and kind of became a face of their coverage in, in a lot of ways. And he's also the dugout guy for Fox's national baseball coverage. Correct. So he he's on you know Fox's national baseball coverage in a lot of ways. So he's already got a big TV gig. He's already got one of the best writing gigs you can have in the in the game. Like the MLB thing, they needed him for his credibility because without that, what is it? You got Joel Sherman and John fucking Heyman. Like that's your <laughs> that's your murderer's row of of insiders like Joel Sherman's fine but like he's basically just a you know a New York beat writer who because he's in New York gets you know that extra little push or whatever that's fine but like John Heyman's a joke and has been for you know as long as I can remember at this point and so yeah they needed somebody with the 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 credibility of Ken Rosenthal and they just you know gave that away and now everybody at that network has to be looking at it like okay so you're going to now enforce on us your editorial will basically and exactly the other big thing that this impacts is every single team has their own beat writer you know we have adam McAlvey, and you know on the bottom of every one of those stories you know how they make a point of saying uh this has not been you know given like mlb did not have to be consulted for approval for this piece or whatever Mm -hmm. it just puts the total lie to that and it, it really does make it out to be what people have long accused it of being which is you know basically pravda it's state media 
And so like you've, you have uh, significantly diminished your product, your ML, your, your thing that you've spent a decade building up MLB network. Um, you've significantly diminished that without gaining anything except for maybe, you know, Ken Rosenthal, some, some points worth of uh, credibility. I mean, like I, I, what I tweeted when I first saw it was like, you know, like I can't think of a bigger badge of honor for a reporter in this moment than to have MLB say, well, you're mean to us. So we're, we're kicking you off our air. Like a reporter, that's a badge of honor to them. A reporter who actually cares that is. A couple, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I saw um, Peter Gammons when he was just out doing a speaking tour. Um, and Ken Rosenthal was his like sort of co-speaker slash opener, more or less. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know. Basically, nobody's more respected than Peter Gammons in baseball. Um, you know, invented the role that he serves in uh, is super interesting, super nice. By the way, he is super nice. Um, and like picked Rosenthal, I think, because he's kind of similar, just younger. He's kind of the same vein as Gammons, the same tone as Gammons. Um, and every, everybody likes him. It's really... I don't know. Oh, I do know what they're thinking. Rob Manfred's not a good leader. I, like, the commissioner is supposed to take heat um, that is justifiably going towards ownership. That's his main job. Yeah, he's supposed to do some other stuff managing the game. But basically, he's there to get yelled at for things the owners think they need to do that are unpopular. You don't need to be causing things that are unpopular. Like, you don't need to be doing that. Um, it, it, <laughs> firing Ken Rosenthal is just making yourself unpopular for no reason. In fact, Rosenthal's criticism of Manfred is like, that's why Manfred exists is to be criticized by legitimate re reporters to deflect from ownership. Um, that That's all. That's the, the whole thing. So like, I don't know what the thought process here other than just, oh, you weren't loyal to me. So you're fired, which, okay, fine, but not a sign of a good leader. A lot of, a lot of big companies end up dying that way when you end up with a bunch of yes men um, instead of people who give you honest feedback as to what you're doing. Um, and it's it's not good for your organization. So um, just stupid, just dumb by Manfred, just self-inflicted nonsense in Ryan's right. It's good for Rosenthal. Honestly, he shouldn't have been uh, no reporter. I, I know jobs are scarce out there for the journalist in the industry, but um, you shouldn't work for Major League Baseball or the NFL or, you know, the actual league itself unless you want to do half PR too. Like if you want to be John Hammond, fine. Um, but you know, know what you are <laughs> and, and baseball's made it expressly clear now that that is the case. Yeah. And it really is unfortunate. They've done more to damage their own credibility and their own standing than they needed to do here simply by not being willing to take a little bit of heat from Ken Rosenthal, which I don't know that anybody's even pointed to exactly what it was he said yeah. and when this was. It's we don't, old, we don't know, right? It's way, <laughs> it was supposedly it's old. like years ago. Yeah, it was years ago. Yeah. And th that just, it it strikes me as being very thin-skinned and not having your, your priorities straight and not, you know, caring about the things you're supposed to care about. You know, it, it's engaging in some really petty, stupid stuff. By the way, I, I looked up some stuff about that North Korean negotiation, and apparently what, oh, what broke the deadlock was Stalin dying. So oh, that makes sense. So that that can, uh, you know, you could you could work that into your narrative however you see fit. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about some happier things or at least non labor dispute things. We got a ton of Patreon questions this week. Thanks to everybody who sent some in. Let's start with Mark Podscarby uh, asking, do we go with the six man rotation again this year? If we only go five, who's the odd man out between Lauer, Hauser and Ashby? Uh, Paul, let's start with you. If so there's a five man. Well, I guess. Do they stick with the six man? Let's I start there. As long as they have the arms to do the six man, I think they stick with the six man. Uh, and I mean, that's kind of their way they built the team at this point. So, uh, you know, it's one thing to run a six man rotation when like Braden Looper is your number one starting, but uh, <laughs> that's not what we're dealing with here. And I think that they really do like having the flexibility that the sixth spot gives them to flip people around to manage um, their arms. Uh, to play platoons and stuff like that, and just to keep innings off of guys. They seem really into innings management more than a lot of teams. So, yeah, they're going to keep doing that. I think it's an organizational philosophy. And all of these guys, if they're still on the team and don't get traded, I think we'll see time there. Um, and I think it's actually a little hard to predict. Um, I, I, I guess 
Um, of the three you mentioned, who would be the odd man out? They all bring stuff to the table. Um, I guess I go Ashby just because I think he still has some developing to do, but I think he's really good and will be in the rotation in the not too distant future. Um, I just think he's the most likely to not be in it starting right away. Um, and I think Lauer's definitely earned his spot. And Hauser had uh, honestly a much improved season last year, and um, you know is at least good in his Rookie Plus role. So um, I, I'll go Ashby. But like they, this is the Brewers; they have so many guys who can start games, and they will have a lot of guys start games. Yeah, they're going to be adding people as well. They will add some depth to the the numbers that they already have for sure. Once we're on the other side of this lockout. Uh, one thing I would say is that they didn't run a six-man all year last year. They ran it once they got into the point where you were getting to uh, not being able to give get, uh, die, guys a day off. So early in the season when there's a lot of off days, you know, through April and into May, there's usually yeah. a lot of off days. Uh, they didn't really run a five or a six-man rotation at that point. It wasn't until they got into more of the meat of the season when they started really running six out there more frequently. Yeah, I guess it's more of a six-day rotation than a six-man right. rotation. Yeah, basically, they only gave guys a handful of starts all year on four days rest, which is the standard five-man rotation rest. You know, Though oftentimes guys in even a four-man rotation or five-man rotation will get that fifth day of rest when there's an off day. Uh, what they're doing is they're trying to give everybody five days, you know, plus. And so I would anticipate that that's what they try to do for most of this year. Maybe not quite as religiously as they did last year. I will be curious to see how they try to potentially get Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, especially more starts. I think that may be a priority that they want to get them a little bit more run because they, as it was, didn't get as, you know, the number of starts that, Guys have typically been getting like the best starters in baseball. Typically, if you have a full season, are getting 33, 34 starts these days, and they didn't get that. What was the the actual number there? I forget off the top of my head. I mean, we did have Corbin Burns missing some time because of COVID, though right. I think Woodruff made every scheduled start, didn't he? He never had to miss for injury or illness or anything that I recall. I'm not remembering a dial stint, but at this point, it, the season's so far removed a little bit that I. I can't really recall off the top of my head either, but okay, I yeah. Mean, uh, yeah. Woodruff made thirty starts and Burns made twenty-eight, and that's a few short right. of what you know you sort of ideally like your best starters to get. But that also may be a compromise that they're willing to make just to keep people healthy and knowing that they have the depth to be able to pull that off and say, okay, right. we're just not going to start you really on ever on less than five days rest and. If they can continue to do that, it probably does help them keep healthier in the long run. It, it definitely seemed to work for Brandon Woodruff, right? Because he's a guy who, you know, we would maybe joke he's good for a good oblique strain or something every year. And this is kind of the first year where injuries weren't really a concern. And this was also a year where we were talking all year. Oh, when are they going to break down? Because, you know, they were coming off the shortened year. So you know, if, if it's working for a guy like Woodruff, why not stick with it, right? Yeah, though, I think we could also now go back and look at it and say it did have a consequence when they got to the postseason. Now, Eric Lauer ended up holding his own in that fourth game of the NLDS against Atlanta. And he definitely was not mm -hmm. the reason that they lost that game. Nope. But there were a lot of people who really wanted them to bring back. Was it Corbin Burns on yep. what would I have been? Very short rest. Well, yeah. It would have been three days, right? It would have been three days rest. Yes, it would have been three days rest. And he hadn't made any starts all year on fewer than five. So right. it really was. And so that kind of opens up the question. Well, when it does get to be the postseason and you maybe want to do want to start having guys pitch a little bit more often, shouldn't they be prepared for that in the regular season? And I guess that sort of becomes an open question that you have to you have to deal with and I don't know. Maybe had they been closer in a division race down the stretch, right. we would have seen that. But there was just no reason for them to do it. And frankly, they also had the depth with Eric Lauer having the second half that he had where mm -hmm. it was a perfectly credible option to not have to try that. And then to line up Lauer or sorry, to line up Burns to go in that game five in the event that they had been able to get it there. 
would have mm-hmm. been, you know, a, a pretty great setup for them considering the Braves had already burned through their guys. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we were at the point where Corbin himself had said he wanted to pitch on short rest. He just couldn't, you know, his body was not responding the way it what he wanted to. And, you know, it, it might be hard to say, was it because he was on five days rest all year long or is it just one of those things where at the end of a long season, you know, your body's just going to take longer to recover no matter how many days of rest you get. Right. So, mm-hmm. well, and also it was really, that was heartening to me, that particular conversation, because it showed that Burns was very aware and was looking at very specific things, right? You don't just say mm-hmm. that unless you have some specific reasons, not that he was going to share them with us. He shouldn't and doesn't need to, <laughs> but that they're kind of looking at some some specific things and saying, okay, these are the markers we're looking to hit. And he realized I, he was not going to be at his best in that game and didn't want to go out at less than, you know, basically at below par and to take away mm-hmm. a start from Eric Lauer, who was very adequately rested and ended up pitching a fine, really well. yeah, fine game, really. Yeah, again, the Brewers lost that series because they couldn't hit, not Mm -hmm. because Corbin Burns didn't pitch on short rest. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, let's move on to our next Patreon question. It comes from Brian Polakowski. He's asking, uh, which recent stalled prospect was most surprising and or disappointing, and why is it Corey Ray, Ryan? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Corey Ray is a big one, and there's a lot of things here that are just very basic. Like, he was, as Paul always points out, you know, the best hitter in that college draft the most highly regarded hitter college hitter in that draft and those guys have a pretty good track record so for him not to turn out that in and of itself is surprising when you're taking a guy with the fifth pick um that is surprising when it becomes obvious what the flaws are and a guy can't overcome them um by the time they get to like basically double a because at his best, he had a pretty good double A season a few years in. I'm thinking 2018, maybe. Uh, I'd have to, to go back and look. But he had a pretty good double A season, but you could still see the flaws in his game at that point. And he's just never figured out how to consistently swing the bat and make good hard contact on the baseball without swinging and missing a ton. And that's just really problematic. So, yeah, Corey Ray it would be high on this list. I think you have to talk about Keston Hira here too, though mm-hmm. the book is far less written on Keston Hira because yeah. one, we've seen him have tremendous success at the big league level, even though you know last year and yeah the the year before the I think people overestimate I guess how bad twenty twenty really was for Hira. Twenty twenty one was was really the crash and burn for him. Twenty twenty. He had a flawed season. There was a lot of problems with what Keston Hira did in 2020, but he still hit for quite a bit of power. Like, he still hit, what, 13 home runs in 60 games? So yeah. that's still hitting. He the team in home runs, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's still hitting pretty well. So, like, the, the, the trick there is going to be now that he's moved off of, uh, he's moved off of second base seemingly permanently and is going to need to carry a much more offensive oriented position either first base or maybe they move him out to a corner outfield spot be left field not right field (laughs) the offense is just going to have to be that much better you know he's going to have to be good offensively and I guess that that really that raises the bar on what he needs to do but both of those guys are sort of twin disappointments I guess in that sense though again Ray much more so than Hira just because Hira he have failed a lot later in the process and there's still more chance for redemption for him than Ray. They are kind of two peas in the same pod. Um, Ray and Hira as um, just college bats that almost always work out and mm-hmm. that neither of whom have really worked out. It's weird to miss on two uh, and not that Hira is done, but um, you know, with his positional value going to a higher level, uh, it, he has so much further to come back to that it just uh, still very pessimistic about it. So um, there's probably other bats you could pick, but uh, it's hard to go with anybody other than than here or Corey Ray. Honestly, <laughs> uh, it's a 
just you know the other thing with here is we get to see the decline like because he came up and he was so good for that time period like a lot of times when this happens it's hidden from everybody because it is in the minors and guys go through ups and downs in the minors it's just uh this one was both catastrophic and on full display for everybody and that's kind of a a terrible sort of double hit to Hira's confidence and his game. Yeah, it's definitely a tough thing to overcome for sure. Uh, Brian's got a second uh, question for us here, and maybe it's a uh, good timing considering how we started this show and talking <laughs> about the delay to the start of the season. But he's asking, Paul, is 162 games too many games for the regular season? It's not. It's really not. Um, and... For baseball is best when it, it is just happening all the time. Like it, it it's not the same as football and basketball. It, it, like it's something that's just nice to have on because it's nice and green and relaxing and still has moments of tension. Uh, and the playoffs turn it into football. Like it, ba- playoff baseball is great and every moment is exciting. So um, regular season should be as long as it can be. That's the best baseball. Um, and so it, it's fine. And it's not um, a big drain on health or anything. It's not too long for players. Uh, if they wanted to and go uh, like to give people more breaks and stuff, they could bring back Sunday double headers. They could do all kinds of things to squeeze in more games and give more off days. Um, there are ways to keep the season long and still exciting and deal with any health issues that are that exist, but there really aren't any. Um, so uh, I know people like to say it's too long, um, but like for baseball to get to the level of everyday excitement that football enjoys, they would have to get to a similar level of scarcity and you're not going to cut it from 162 to 130 and generate that you'd have to go to like 45 that's that's ridiculous (laughs) so um that's it's totally fine people who complain about it haven't thought it through and don't appreciate baseball properly and i don't want to tell people how to be fans (laughs) but like most complaints about baseball are from people who um, just our casual baseball people who like the playoffs and don't think about it too hard, and that's fine. Um, but uh, baseball is served best by having a lot of baseball there. They they get people in the stands for 162 games. Um, they in big markets especially get people watching and listening for 162 games. It's totally fine to have 162 games. Yeah, the one thing I'll I'll say to that, I agree with everything that you said. I would just add an addendum that the danger becomes the more playoffs you start adding the more you could start detracting from the regular season. Yeah, you get college football. <laughs> right, and that that becomes a problem where I don't think, like, for instance, I don't think it would be a huge deal. It wouldn't upset baseball's whole system if you went some from, say, 162 to 144 games like they did in uh, 1995. I think they played 144 game season that year. I don't think that would, like, drastically alter the makeup of the season. It's still more of a marathon than a sprint, it's still, you know, it requires basically playing every day over the course of, you know, five to six months. I don't think that would be like a huge loss, but there's just not a reason to do it. Yeah. Unless you're adding more playoffs. If you're doing that to accommodate more playoffs, and then you have to be really, really careful about how you do that. And we have another question coming up about that. So I'll wait. Yeah. I'll, I'll hold off on that. But <laughs> I would say about that, that, it's not it is not too long, but you have to be careful because it could become too long if you monkey with the playoffs yep too much. I am actually glad this season of college football happened because I think it proved something uh, that people didn't really realize, which is that you can have too many playoffs for Americans um, and uh, foot I think college football has sort of strangely for a sport that had no playoff for a long time reach that very quickly where it's uh, very much proven the pointlessness of most of the regular season where you end up with the sec title game part two um and Mm -hmm. have it every single year um and nobody cared nobody cares about the other bowl games nobody cares about most of the rest of the sport and it's been a bad thing to go to the sort of playoff system for college football uh and baseball definitely runs that risk if you have everybody making the playoffs then yes 162 games gets more pointless very quickly that's not good for the for for anybody so yeah that that could be a problem for sure well with that in mind guys adam post is asking what is the ideal way to format the mlb playoffs paul let's start with you how would you format the the baseball playoffs then um i i actually kind of like the way it it has existed uh, I, they mess around with the wild card so much. 
I like the the one game wild card um, to reward division winners and punish people who were well. It, it still give you a chance if you had a good record, but um, don't just automatically let you in scot free. I do like that. I think that's okay. I'm okay with that. Um, I would not be averse to there being. Uh, I'm old school. Like I'd be fine with four teams making the playoffs. I'd probably be fine with two pe- with just World <laughs> Series, honestly. So I'm not the person to ask. But uh, I, I think, I think three division winners plus one wild card is fine. Um, I think having the extra wild card plan is also fine. I think having an extra level of punishment for being in the wild card game is not a bad thing. That's one of the. I think they're better developments so i kind of maybe lean towards that more than anything else i also think that they should have like a hockey style trophy or banner or let you hang a pennant for the best record in regular season record in baseball they should name it something like the hank aaron trophy for the whatever and let you put it up and give a little bit more meaning back to that too like go a little soccer with this you you can have (laughs) multiple championships um or multiple things that are meaningful you know um, so I would also do something to honor that, make the regular season more meaningful, maybe even have it give you something as a prize team wise, whether that's bonuses for everybody or a draft. I don't care. But, you know, do something to make it special. Yeah, I definitely agree with those sentiments. I have long held that I didn't like the one game play in. And it really irritated me this year when you had the billion win Dodgers having to go into a one game playoff against the four win Cardinals and play on essentially even footing though it was at the Cardinals. And I didn't particularly like that. I still think that that's a problem because when you treat two teams that had, I mean, what was it? The Dodgers had 106 and the Cardinals had like 91. They, yeah, like, there was like, like a 15 yeah. win difference and you treat them as the same. That sucks. Especially because the 106 win Dodgers had the second most wins of any team in the league. And yet, you know, the Brewers and the, uh, you know, very pathetic. Who even was it in the East? Oh, the Braves, because they the ended Braves. up winning. Yeah. The yeah. 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 Like, the very, <laughs> yeah, the very pathetic East. Yeah, th- you had those two teams, you know, get into the regular playoffs ahead of the Dodgers. That's just like, that sucks. And that, I'm fine that, with that, because under old baseball, old-timey baseball rules, the Dodgers don't make the playoffs. They didn't win their division. They lost their division. <laughs> yeah. I get that, but the Giants. And I mean, if you were really back, there were no divisions before 1969. So yeah, true. And and yes, it it does make sense to me in a league where you know when they went from 10 to 12 teams per league, it made sense to start dividing it up and having divisions. I think you were you were pushing it at 10, as a matter of fact. And there are some downsides to doing that. It it you know it quickly renders a lot of teams irrelevant right away in the season, and. That could just kind of drag on. I don't know. The The main thing, though, is I do really like the fact that it does reward teams and it tears teams in. I would like to see if they decide to start doing this thing where they are adding more teams to the playoffs here. Um, first off, fewer the better. So if they're going to add teams, I don't want to go to 14, which is what MLB wants. Let's go to 12. That would That would be an okay expansion. And I very much like the Korean, the KBO way of doing things. Have you guys heard of this? Nope. How the KBO does it? Nope. So in that situation, when you have a team that's playing another team and one team has one in the regular season, you're doing like a one game play in. uh, What they do is it's essentially a weighted two game where the team that finished with the better record has to win one of two games and the other team has to win both. Hmm. So, oh. so it's the uh, the the so- the waves, the Milwaukee Waves Soccer League. They used to have their final was best of two, um, and uh, <laughs> like that's weird, but okay, not unprecedented. Yeah, so it gives Dude, an advantage. Two. Yeah, it gives an advantage to the team that had the better regular season, a substantial advantage to the team that is that, a big advantage. Yeah, a substantial advantage to the team that won the regular season, while still giving the other team something legitimate to play for, and. In baseball, you know, really, you can you can win two games, you know, pretty easily. Especially if you're a team like the Brewers that has all these good starters, like you're you're going to be in decent shape no matter what that setup is. So, and this does get into, and I know you've talked about this in the past, Paul, but this gets into your um, Brewers fan self versus your baseball fan self, and they're <laughs> yeah, they really yeah. are in conflict in this case because they are. That's true for the Brewers. 
given the small market nature of things and the fact that they have a little bit higher hill to climb than say some of the big markets do. And that's a whole other discussion, but a larger playoff does benefit them because it gives them a chance to get in more often and then potentially to create some havoc once they get in. Whereas as a, baseball fan I don't want to say purist because I hate that but like <laughs> as like a, a hardcore baseball fan like I hate the idea of I would I would love to go back to only having four playoff teams because then <laughs> you're more likely to get the truly best team winning the World Series which yep. is fairly rare nowadays the best team rarely wins the World Series it certainly didn't win the World Series this year and you know if you go back through the last what, five, six, seven years? I guess you could say the Dodgers kind of in 2020, though, who knows, because that season wasn't long enough. And the the Red Sox in 18 were probably the best team in baseball that year. Them or the Dodgers, sure. and it was them against the Dodgers in the World Series. So I guess yeah. that's yeah. that's a good that's outcome. A good announce, yeah. The Dodgers were due for one, so I don't mind counting their 2021. So, yeah. No, and, yeah. and that playoff run they had to go through was a gauntlet, too. I mean, that that added was an added degree of difficulty as well. So mm-hmm. I'm not taking anything away from the 2020 Dodgers. I'm just saying, like, it it isn't you know, super often that the best team in baseball actually wins the World Series. You know, two of our last three look at it, Washington and the Braves. Like, they were clearly not the best teams over the course of 162, and yet they were the ones holding the trophy at the end. So... I don't love that, but I also recognize that in baseball, you would have to play so many games in the playoff to get a meaningful outcome uh, that it just becomes impossible. You can't really do it. You'd have to play like a 30-game series or something Hmm. to really truly determine who the best team between two teams is. And (laughs) that's just, you know, nobody's got time for that. No. (laughs) No. No, definitely not. All right, moving on. We've got a question from Adam Post. He's asking this week, what are your favorite non-breweries jerseys in baseball? I like this. Nice little off-season question. So, uh, Paul, your favorite non-brewers jerseys. So, I, I assume this is aesthetic and not like a name on the back kind of thing. So I, I think uh, so. That's the way I interpreted it. Yeah, the, the best are actually the Expos, but they're not here anymore. So, <laughs> unfortunately, but they were... Yeah. They were amazing jerseys, and uh, nobody should wear them because that would be an insult. But uh, those are truly excellent. Um, baseball, one, baseball does not have great standout jerseys, uh, so this is actually a little bit tricky. Like I do sort of dig the the classic Yankees just because they are um, sort of uh, the classic, uh, most classic looking jersey. So I'm kind of fine with that. Um, I might lean actually the A's. I. I it's probably the Packer fan in me because yeah. um, nobody really has that color palette other than the A's nope. and the Packers, and it really does stand out quite a bit. Uh, I mean, yellow is the yellow is very bright, um, green is too, and I do kind of like that. It's a, like every other color palette in baseball is pretty muted, with a few limited exceptions. And uh, I do like that they really like you know you're looking at the A's immediately when you see the A's. So uh, I'll go mm-hmm. with them. Maybe the Royals second. Um, they have a mm-hmm. very bright blue as well that I, I think is a nice standout jersey. I think my favorite right now is uh, the Phillies when they brought back the the throwbacks. So they've got the little powder blues with the powder blues are good. Powder blue Phillies, yeah, are good. yeah. With, but everybody with had powder blues back then. I know, but I I like the the combination <laughs> with the with the darker red. It, it, it's yeah. I, it, I associate it, it with all my dark. All my old Philly baseball red, cards yeah. are all in the in the powder blues, and they are all good. So I yeah, yeah. So I I dig that Bryce Harper in in those jerseys. Uh, pretty pretty solid look i always like the padres brown too so i'm glad that they brought that back because speaking of interesting color palettes the brown and yellow stands out so there you go ryan how about you i mean that's just poop color right like that's that's what that is (laughs) like it's i've always wondered about that like i never had this attachment to it i'm i look at it and i go yes that looks like my childhood but i'm like it always struck me as kind of a weird color. Like, it was just very sort of... The blah. sand of San Diego, man. My other problem with know. the Padres is that, at least in 80s video games, they look very similar to the Giants colors. Um, mm-hmm. They are actually a little hard to tell apart. Yes, they are different um, colors, but um, like in RBI Baseball, West Coast teams um, with very similar palette, they are, mm. they're confusing. So I will talk them for that. So with baseball, a big part of this comes down to, and there are exceptions, obviously, that we could talk about, like the Diamondbacks and whatever, where you do these really wild color palettes. Every new mm-hmm. year brings a, a new wild concoction of colors. But 
you tend to look at more of a muted color palette and it really tends to be about the logo, right? The team's logo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so a good logo makes for a good uniform. And like, if you're going for like a clean look and a really, I, I liked your Yankee shout, but I think you have to then also mention the Tigers in that the classic, you know, D the, old style D yeah. That yeah, old style script D and then the, just the clean look in general and the, the piping down the middle. Like I'm looking at it right now and it's, it's a good, it's a good look. It's fine. <laughs> I, I I should say while well, we're on the topic of West Coast, I guess I just really like West Coast jerseys. But the Giants cream colored home jerseys also very crisp, nice look to me. I I don't know. It just kind of fits with that with that vibe. So I always thought that was kind of cool. And if you're going classic, like it's hard to get away from that. The Dodgers blue and white with the red numbers, yep. like that is a classic, classic look going back, yeah. you know, 150 years. All right, our next Patreon question comes from PJ Wessels asking about our favorite thing in the world, the Bundesliga. PJ uh, is <laughs> asking, James mentioned Bundesliga last week, so crossover time. You have to implement one rule from soccer, on-field or off-field. What do you choose? Transfers only during certain times, promotion, relegation, ties are allowed, more limited substitutions, balanced scheduling, etc. Ryan, let's start with you, because I feel like you have a better grasp on what (laughs) the rules of soccer are. So I'm kind of torn about this. Promotion relegation is my instant pick here, and that would obviously require completely restructuring the sport in a way that it was, frankly, it could have been structured that way in 1910, 1920, before Mm -hmm. uh, Branch Rickey started buying up affiliates yeah and and making turning uh minor league teams into affiliates that would be feeders to his club uh it it probably actually may have even evolved that way had that not happened but instead the the american obsession with what is that vertical integration (laughs) yeah yes vertical integration is correct yeah synergy Yeah. yeah so the the american obsession with vertical integration kicked in and we don't have that the one thing i would say about it is it in today's atmosphere, one of the problems of of uh, of promotion and relegation is that there's such a wide gulf in terms of revenue available to teams at the various levels that if you get relegated and stay there a little while, it can be very hard to dig back out of that, and you don't you lose the mobility as a team because the money is just so overwhelmingly different at say the uh, Premier League level versus the Championship level. You know, one level down. And so that can really, really be detrimental to teams and cause them to spend a very long time digging out. We just watched Leeds is up now for the second year in a row. Leeds was one of the leading clubs in England for a very long time and was very, very successful and basically got themselves in over their head in the early 2000s financially and uh, ended up getting knocked down a couple levels and went through some, some stuff financially that knocked them way down and they just took 20 years almost to get back up to the premier league level. And they had a rabid fan base, huge fan base would have been, you know, probably part of this current big six group, like on par with sort of that level had they been able to, to be in the the premier league this whole time, but they weren't. And so now they're sort of permanently damaged by it. So that is tough. That, that legitimately is tough, but it it still is a very intriguing system because it forces teams to be it forces teams to really try to always be looking for a way <laughs> to compete and it also uh it also then plays very naturally into success cycles so teams sort of go through a success cycle they come up they have their run in the the premier league and then they sort of fade back down and they, they come back down and that causes them to sort of naturally, okay, we're going to get rid of our more high-priced players. We're going to sell them off, get that money. We're going to invest it in a bunch of young players and see if we can get a, a big group of good young players to make a run back up at the Premier League again. And that is good and fun and enjoyable for the teams that don't get really pushed down the ladder. That's that's where it sucks. Yeah. Paul, how about you? So. Uh, Ryan is right, but he didn't go far enough. So it is relegation, but um, the reason is because it would because it would fundamentally alter the, the structure of the sport, and it, it would essentially eliminate a lot of the problems that we're seeing right now. Um, mm-hmm. Not having 
like European soccer is a consequence of not having something like the antitrust exemption where clubs are truly independent and come together with league rules and traditions um, more than a centralized bureaucracy that organizes the league and the championship and is a bargaining unit against the players. Um, fundamentally, in most other sports around the world, including, uh, I shouldn't speak to Bundesliga, I know jack about Bundesliga, but... Um, <laughs> You're um, on firm footing there, Paul. All right. Um, <laughs> players are essentially played, paid market rates all the time because they are... Um, always just either under contract or, but they be loaned out stuff like that. But they're getting paid what they freely bargain from country to country, from league to league. Um, you know, and that is good for the player. They don't need players' unions in those leagues over there because there's tons of people to pay them for their services over there. In baseball, it is a an organized monopoly. In America, yes, you can go over to Japan and Korea if you want to do something else. But fundamentally, the big league is in America and it has weird labor rules. Uh, it has very European labor rules. <laughs> it's weird. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very backwards. Um, and if we had relegation, it would mean that the antitrust exemption did not exist. Uh, fundamentally, it the relegation can't exist with the antitrust exemption. I mean, without, without the owners agreeing to something really stupid. <laughs> so um, since it would mean the antitrust exemption goes away, that's my answer. Where, um, where the independent and the minor league teams start competing against major league teams, where rich people start buying up minor league teams and investing in their, their facilities and buying MLB free agents and people from around the world to build up their minor league teams to steal major league spots as an investment to make money. Um, that is a fine thing to do. And it would make the sport better. So that's the answer. So, Paul, I have a question for you because you were gone last week and we talked about this a little bit. But um, since you mentioned it, we should mention it. Okay. Uh, you saw that there is now a lawsuit that is going to fly through the courts, probably getting to the Supreme Court oh, on a yeah. pretty expedited basis to end the antitrust exemption. There is. Tell us about that. Uh, okay. Or so, in like three minutes or something. <laughs> we'll give you the right. short answer. <laughs> so here's this will be very short because it's very easy. Major League Baseball. Oh, geez. Okay, it's not going to be three minutes. It'll be longer <laughs> than that. Major League Baseball's antitrust exemption is very, very stupid. So. Um, that is the short, long and short of it, but here is why it's really stupid. Um, there, the, the way that the federal government is able to pass laws uh, that, it, that are enforceable on all of us is through something in the Constitution known as the, <laughs> the Commerce Clause, which states that uh, the government, the federal government is able to pass laws that, I'm, just, I'm paraphrasing, gets loose, have an impact on interstate commerce. Most Supreme Court cases are about this for the first 50 or so years of the country. Um, just so everybody knows, before um, Commerce Clause law became mature, the federal government was very limited in what they were actually able to do. The states had a lot more power in this country than they do now. Um, most of what the federal government regulated were things like railroads, which go between states. Um, start, uh, I, I should have looked at my constitutional law before the podcast, uh, <laughs> but uh, there have been a bunch of seminal Commerce Clause cases over the years. Uh, if memory serves, the big one is Wickard versus Filburn, which is about uh, the market, the interstate market for wheat um, and whether the federal government can regulate that based on an entirely intrastate um, impact to the wheat market. The answer is yes. That opened up the government to legislate. Ever, whatever. Too big. Here's the thing. Um, <laughs> baseball has its antitrust exemption because the Supreme Court ruled that baseball does not impact interstate commerce. Which is on its face laughable is, and always has been, right? Which is hilarious and not true. I mean... Can you think of anything stupider than that? You have a bunch of baseball teams from different states playing against each other, and they rule that it doesn't affect interstate. Like, just completely ridiculous. Asinine. Well, and that they never extended it to the other sports. So putting on a football game is interstate commerce. Putting on a base basketball game is interstate commerce, but a baseball game is not, right? Yes, they have limited um, antitrust exemptions in those sports as well um, based on this, but they're not the same as baseball, which is expressed in a Supreme Court decision. It is... One of one of honestly one of the few instances of the Supreme Court 
just going with a an interest group. That doesn't usually happen. It did in this case. This was done purely uh, to preserve baseball and give power to the owners. It has no basis in American legal law. It goes against every other piece of commerce clause litigation that's ever happened. <laughs> it, it is uh, just just to, just to show you how asinine this is. Um, there's probably a more recent commerce clause ca- case than this. But the most recent one I can think of is Raich versus Gonzalez. It started with as Raich versus Ashcroft when he was the attorney general, which is a case about um, marijuana being grown in somebody's apartment and whether its impact on the interstate marijuana market means that it can still be regulated by federal law over state law. And um, conservatives, of course, hate pot more than they hate um, their principles. So they uh, voted to maintain this this fiction that even if you just grow pot on your windowsill that's enough of a um a a touch point to the interstate commerce market for marijuana that they can still regulate it so um everything is interstate commerce growing a pot plant on your windowsill is interstate commerce but baseball is not interstate commerce so there you go james i your eyes are like rolling back into the back of your head (laughs) No, no, that was just me looking up to watch the the football game. Oh, is that what was going I was not on? falling asleep. I swear, <laughs> it's super if, interesting. I did. If you're take, uh, by the way, yeah. if you're listening and you're like just out of law school, or you are um, somebody who studies constitutional law more than me, please note that I have been out of law school for like two decades and have not had constitutional law in that amount of time. <laughs> and uh, that's all just hobby reading. So I could be wrong. Sorry if I got any nuanced points incorrect, but I think it was basically correct. But basically, it is the lawsuit is happening and is very likely to be successful. And so we're probably going to see the end of baseball's uh, inter- antitrust, antitrust exemption. Thank you. Yeah, the antitrust exemption. Is it likely to be unsuccessful? Well, it was Neil Gorsuch who basically wrote the thing saying, hey, um, baseball is ripe for a challenge on this now. And that's okay. why the people that are challenging it basically saw a, a Neil Gorsuch waving a giant red cape. And if Gorsuch <laughs> is waving a giant red yeah, cape yeah. on this you're one, probably, you're probably screwed. Um, it's one of those things that's not exactly partisan. And I could see, um, I could see the few lefties that are on the court sticking with the status quo on it. Um, but I think if you've lost the conservatives there, you're probably going to have a pretty over. Yeah, you're probably right. They're probably screwed. So that's good. It, it's, fascinating because it doesn't break down the way these things normally do politically so there are people who've been paying attention to it who have no interest in sports who are like this is really weird because of (laughs) the weird way that this breaks down so i love weird things all right uh before we wrap up for this week one last patreon question uh let's wrap it up with jay google He's saying he saw uh, Jim Baum put out his top 25 remaining free agents, and he suggested the Brewers take a look at guys like McHugh, Pineda, or Greinke. <laughs> which one would you want to see for pitchers? Also add Nelson Cruz, Schwarber, Jorge Soler. Which of the guys would you choose for bats? Ryan, you had an audible reaction, so <laughs> you're first. Go for it. Well, so the McHugh thing is hilarious because I actually counted. Did I tell you guys this, or did I tell Google this himself? Google himself, sure I Jay. think. Okay, yeah. because if you look at the number of teams, here are the teams that uh, Jim Bowden, noted MLB insider, uh, thinks are the best fits <laughs> for Colin McHugh. The Yankees, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, the Rays, the Phillies, the Mets, the Braves, the Cardinals, the Brewers, the Dodgers, the Reds, the Giants, the Mariners, the Angels, the Astros, and the Mariners. Mariners twice? Uh, yeah, yeah maybe, he, but who cares? Yeah, no, he eh, listed. Whatever. He did list the Mariners twice, actually. So that means <laughs> that he has only half the league and not over half the league. He has fifteen <laughs> different teams listed as the best fits. Mm, if that gives yes. you any idea of the value that uh, that we should place is in MLB this. Network Insider Jim Bowden. Jim, yep, that's right. Oh, is, he, is he? Wait, is he on the MLB? No, I think he's. He a, was for a while. Oh, was, was he, he on? He, I don't he think he was on the now? network. Okay. So he has a complicated history. You could go look up why he lost yeah. his job as the GM of the Reds. It involved kickbacks and uh, taking money from 16-year-olds from uh, you know the Dominican Republic in Venezuela. So like that guy's a piece of crap, and his baseball analysis is not particularly great. Uh, I think all of the guys that he talked about there. So McHugh is interesting just because like every team that like 
is competing, (laughs) like, is listed as a potential. So Bowden, by the way, really quick, just to clarify that point in case anybody has a problem with it, uh, Bowden works for ESPN. However, he has a serious XM show that's syndicated by MLB Network. That's what it was. Oh, wait, he doesn't work for, no, he's on The Athletic now. Oh, is he? Yeah, no, no, this is, he is currently on The Athletic. Oh, okay. And so he is, yeah, he does have, Jeez. Okay, he does have a he does have a relationship there with with MLB and that's yeah. yeah. But anyway, most of the guys that he listed and all of them they pretty much all say and if the team decides to or uh if if the uh, the American League does add the designated hitter or sorry if the National League adds the designated hitter, then you can add in the Brewers blah 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 blah. And that's kind of what this is. Most of those names come down to that. Jorge Soler is. I want Soler so bad. (laughs) Soler could be. You could still play right field some. I don't. Yeah. I I don't know that I would want to have him be my everyday right fielder. You'd have to have Craig Council get very creative out there with all that. But um, if you have the DH and can move him between the DH and right field, I think that becomes pretty playable and I think he would be the guy that sort of stands out the most there still feels like you you can kind of get some upside from Solari I know he's 29 years old now and everything but it still feels like he's not he's not at the end of his rope the way say you know 42 year old or whatever Nelson Cruz is that's you know he's kind of a late bloomer in a way too although he he was up super young so it feels like he's been around forever so he was up too young this is a case of you know rushing a guy to the big leagues and then you know, it them really needing to to have more developmental time working into it, and he's been inconsistent throughout his career too. He's had he's had several boom and bust cycles already, and I would sort of expect that to keep going. But you're probably not going to have to pay that much for him, so there's you know there there's some intrigue there yeah. to be had. All right. Paul. Anyway, Brewers. First of all, don't don't spend money on starting pitching. Um, that's foolishness, and don't do it. Um, it I, I, <laughs> So what McHugh's good. Uh, I drink he's uh, nostalgic, but I don't really want him anymore. Um, Pineda is fine. Uh, but let's get to the hitters because again, don't just don't spend money. Get two hitters. Don't don't get a pitcher and hit. And uh, bring, bring me good Dan Volgebach. Um, that's who I want. Which is of course <laughs> Kyle Schwarber, um, who is who is twenty eight. And um, even though he is uh, funny and rotund looking, actually has halfway decent defensive metrics in the outfield. And um, has an 990 OPS against um, right-handed pitching. And, um, of course, will play well in Miller Park. So um, that's that's who I want. <laughs> and also, it would be fun against the Cubs, as all ex-Cubs are. So I want Kyle Schwarber. Bring him to me. There you go. Schwarber and Rizzo. Let's go. All right. Yep. Um, a reminder, we had a ton of Patreon questions this week. So if you want to get in on that fun, you can just go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Sign up for as little as two bucks a month there and you get question priority. You also, when you sign up to become a patron at any level, get a shout out here on this program. Ryan, who do we have to give thanks to this week? We shall give thanks first for Patrick Balwig, <laughs> who uh, um, upped his... Uh, his sponsorship level from the $2 a month to the $5 a month. So thank you, Patrick, for doing that. And anybody who is in a similar situation where you're supporting at like a $2 level and would like to start getting the extra content that's available for people at the $5 level, um, take note that is right there for you to be able to do that. We would very much appreciate it. And we will give a shout out for that too. Yeah. And it's not a bad time to start as well. You will get the RAE mini pod doing that too. And um, they'll, if the Packers go deep into the playoffs or, you know, at least a few weeks, those will be pretty, pretty nice to listen to. So uh, the happier I am, the better they are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then also uh, Steven Skiles. Now, that's what was the, the guy who was the coach of the Bucks for a while? He was also Scott Skiles. Skiles. Scott, Scott Skiles. Skiles. Scott. So Steven, not Scott Skiles. Maybe it's his brother. Who knows? I believe Scott Skiles still has the record for assists in a game. Uh, when he I was the point so. guard for the Orlando Magic, so twenty something. I think it was thirty, wasn't it? Oh, well, you, it was Ryan. Well, Ryan reads. I will Google. Was he to, the I, the point guard for the Magic, like in the pre Penny days? Like he was, was with he, Penny. Yeah, he played with Penny. Was, He's an okay. NBA yeah. gem. He's one of their NBA gem players. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough. All yeah. right. 
So thank you, Stephen, and thanks, Patrick, uh, for your uh, signing up and, and, and upgrades and, and all that stuff. Uh, as I and said, it, Patreon. It, it, it is Scott Skiles with 30 assists for the Orlando 30 Magic. 30 assists. Yes, okay. for, the, for the Magic against the Nuggets uh, in 1990. That is a so. hell of a lot of assists. It's uh, amazing that it isn't John Stockton, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. actually, it really is amazing it's not John Stockton. Um, although Shaq will get you a lot of easy assists. So. That is true. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, yeah, thanks to you guys and uh, patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. That's where you can go to sign up to become a patron if you're not one already. Uh, we would also appreciate it if you left us a review and a rating for this podcast. A reminder, Paul will literally read any five star review. Uh, if you leave it for us, you can do that on uh, Apple Podcasts there. And uh, any five star review helps because it helps us get seen and, and kind of work our way up the computer ranking, so to speak. And uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Have we uh, really Paul, not had any since the last time uh, Paul was I on don't the show? Think, so I don't think we have, but on um, on my PC browser, I can't load comments anymore. So um, I always am diving into my phone, and I'm not sure if my phone is organizing them right. So um, we'll see. If if I didn't, if I don't get it this week, uh, next week I will compile any that I've missed into a big thing. But that's no, a deal. I, I don't think we've gotten any for quite a while. So so we yeah, should start so. a little drive on this, right? Like we could really use those. Uh, those boosts get those five star uh ratings in and yeah. we could use a little boost for the new year because right now our uh our numbers of listens are really dragging and who knows why oh, that could possibly you know be i don't think we've read <laughs> i don't think we've read this one i think i just found one so okay. if, if, even if i've read it i'm gonna read it again so how about that what do we got paul it, it's from uh it's from chris anderson uh and it's it, it's a positive one uh best brewers podcast out there it's from december 20th by the way um, knowledgeable hosts going in depth regarding everything brewers, but not too many stats. Oh, I'll try harder. Sorry. Um, just, <laughs> just good dialogue and brewers coverage. Update. Best brewers non-beat reporter pod out there. I've been listening for years and appreciate all the personalities on the pod and what they bring. Keep it going, fellas. Chris Anderson. I wonder if hey. you left an old one and then just updated it. Maybe. I'm not, that sounds be. about right. Well, anyway, that's hey, definitely since it. we last potted with you. Yes, so. it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Best non-beat writer podcast. I'll take that. I'll take that. Totally. That's great. Yeah. So Fuck that means JR. that JR is better than us? Is that what that means? <laughs> you're just, I think it means JR is better than us. Chris Anderson, yeah. you're saying JR yeah. is better than us? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that show's good, too. You can listen yep. to both. There's enough time. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you for that review. And in a reminder, like I just said, five stars. Give us a review, type it out there, and Paul will read it. So there you go. Yep. And while you're there, please do hit that subscribe button, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, wherever else you listen to your podcast, please do hit that subscribe button. You'll get that little alert every time we upload a new episode. So uh, that'll be next week. We'll be back again. So uh, hopefully we'll have some uh, baseball <laughs> things to talk about and, and or we'll just complain about the the lockout again. We'll see. But uh, this is the time of year where the Patreon questions really come in handy. So please do uh, go sign up or just send us a Twitter question too. give us something to talk about. So uh, this is a fun one. Good to get everybody back uh, together again after a hectic few weeks here. But thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time on the Walking Stage.